As you're getting seated, let me encourage you to take your Bibles out, if you would, and turn uh, to Exodus uh, chapter 3. All right, Exodus chapter 3. Uh, we are on our summer vacation here at Valley Creek, and so I hope you're enjoying this trip so far. And uh, today we're going to take another wonderful trip. But you know, a few summers ago, uh, Kim and I had uh, the great privilege of going on a vacation. Robbie and Jenny Walters invited us to take a vacation with them, and so we got to go out west. And I would have to say that it is possibly my all-time favorite vacation. Now, since Kim and I haven't taken a lot of vacations in our life, it's probably not hard to be towards the top, all right? But I'll say this, it was clearly uh, one of the greatest vacations I believe I'll probably ever take. It it involved a a lot of hiking, but we truly got to see uh, some beautiful sights as we enjoyed God's creation. Now, one of the favorite spots had to be Jenny Lake in the Grand Teton Mountains. In fact, I enjoyed it so much, I'm going to show you a couple of pictures this morning. Is that okay? All right, I'm going to show you a couple of pictures, all right? This first one is, as we started to hike up the mountain there at Jenny Lake, we hadn't gotten too far. Please overlook the sweat on my back, okay? It was very hot that day, all right? Kim's probably going to be mad that I showed the picture because of that sweat. But anyway, you can see we hadn't went very far up the mountain, but look, isn't that so beautiful? We got up there in this beautiful spot that you could overlook the lake. It was absolutely gorgeous. But after this, we hiked a long ways further, all right, up the mountain, and we found some of the most beautiful scenery I believe I've ever seen. Look at this next shot, all right? Is that not gorgeous? I took that picture, all right? This is not out of a magazine. I took that picture. Even look at the next one. The next one is probably my favorite, all right? That is just gorgeous, okay? I looked at that and saw how wonderful that is and what beautiful part of God's creation. And it may have took a lot of hiking to get these pictures, but it was well worth it. Because see, truly, folks, there is something majestic about a mountain. You know, mountains are a part of God's creation that give testimony to his power and his strength. And there is a way that being up in a mountain makes you feel closer to God and not just because of the elevation, all right? That's not what I'm talking about, all right? Now, with that said, it should not surprise or be a surprise to us that in scriptures, we find a mountain that is a place that we must visit on our vacation that we're taking as a church. On this summer vacation, we have to go to a mountain. That's where we're headed this morning. And the mountain that we're going to look at is a mountain that most of you have heard of. It's called in the scriptures by two different names. One is the more familiar name and the other some may not recognize. This mountain is Mount Horeb. And you may not recognize that name because it's better known as Mount Sinai. All right, now whichever name you use is probably best referred to as the mountain of God. And in Exodus 3, we're going to see one of the more famous events recorded in the scriptures. It is what we call the burning bush experience. Now, let's be honest. If you and I were in charge of making a vacation spot on Mount Horab, here's what we would do. We would make some monument to the burning bush, would we not? I mean, maybe we'd create a bronze sculpture of the burning bush, or in our day and time, we're high tech, right? So let's not just be satisfied with a bronze burning bush. Let's do something that looks real, and let's have real flames coming out of it, right? Isn't that what we would do? I mean, we would create something like that so people have something to come to and admire, and they'd say, oh, look at that burning bush. However, here is the problem with that. When we focus on the bush, We miss the most important part of that mountain because the bush is not what is important. What was important about that place was who was there. You see, in chapter 3 of Exodus, there were two. The first being Moses, but the most important being the second one, and that is God. 
You see, on the mountain of God, we see God have an encounter with Moses, an encounter that had important ramifications for Moses' life and for the life of many others. So let's take a look at this event, and then we're going to make some important observations about what we see. Exodus 3, beginning in verse 1. Now, Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, he said, here am I. And then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Now, let's pause right there. As we read these first few verses, what is happening here, according to the text, seems pretty straightforward. I mean, Moses was tending sheep. He sees this bush that is burning, that it isn't consumed. He turns to check it out, and then God speaks to him. And no doubt, anytime someone has an encounter with God, it is a holy moment, is it not? I mean, when God said this is holy ground, we need to understand that it's holy above all because God was there. It wasn't holy ground because there was something special about the dirt or rock. It was holy because God's presence was there. We are not surprised really when Moses even hides his face, being afraid to look upon God because the scriptures say that one cannot look upon God and live. However, we need to consider this. There's something more going on here because we know that there are other occasions very similar to this where it seems that God is looked upon and death doesn't come. You see, in this moment, maybe there's a different reason that Moses turns his face from God. Maybe in this moment, it is not death that Moses fears, but maybe for Moses, there's something else he's dealing with. Could it be that he's dealing with a moment of shame? Now, why do I say that? Because in this moment, we need to understand that there is a call that's been abandoned, all right? There's a call abandoned. We see Moses here in Exodus 3. For 40 years, he has been tending his father-in-law's sheep in the wilderness. Now, we may not think much about that, but here's what we have to remember about Moses. When he was growing up, he was raised in the house of Pharaoh. And in the house of Pharaoh, Moses would have been taught that shepherds were to be despised. There is no way in the first 40 years of Moses' life, Moses would have said, well, I sure hope that I'm a shepherd someday. In fact, he probably thought just the opposite. He probably thought, no way will I ever be a shepherd. However, now for 40 years, what has he been doing? What is key for us to recognize is that he is being a shepherd, and it's not wrong because being a shepherd would be wrong, even though it was maybe a despised job. In fact, I'm going to say this. Shepherds are truly important, even if they're not recognized as such. But what was wrong with Moses being a shepherd is that God had called him to something else. God had called him to something else besides being a shepherd, and he was on the run from that call. In fact, if we go back to Exodus 2, we see an event in Moses' life that changed his course. One day, he left Pharaoh's house to go see his people, the Hebrews who were slaves of Pharaoh. And while out among the Hebrews, he kills an Egyptian who was beating a Hebrew. And then the next day, when he confronted a Hebrew fighting with another Hebrew man, he he looked at Moses who said this, who made you prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. 
And when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now, those verses give us some insight into what was happening in Moses' life. They they give us insight into how he ended up in Midian rather than in Egypt. But we are even given better insight to these particular events in Acts 7, where we read this about Moses' life. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel, and seeing one of them being wrong, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, men, you are brothers. What you, why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Now, after a quick reading, some may say, well, that that didn't say anything different than it said in Exodus chapter 2. But there's a very important detail given us in verse 25. It gives us insight into what Moses was thinking and even his motives for going to see the Hebrews. Look at again, Acts 7, 25. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. All right. Now, according to that verse at the age of 40, What did Moses understand his call from God to be? Somebody answer me. Come on. Don't be afraid. At the age of 40, what did Moses understand his call from God to be? Who said it? Somebody said it. Deliver his people, right? Thanks for being in the first service, right? Hey, thank you. Okay. Thank you, Jonathan. Yes. He said he supposed that the people would understand that God was bringing them salvation by his hand. In other words, he knew at 40, when God put it in his heart and he went to see his people, he knew that God was calling him to deliver his people from their bondage, all right? He believed he was going to be the deliverer. Does that that sound a little bit familiar to you? I mean, that's what he believed at 40 years of age. But after the incident of killing the Egyptian and being questioned by the Hebrew, he ran off and fled from Egypt to spend the next 40 years tending sheep in the wilderness. In other words, he abandoned what God was calling him to do. Think about this. When Moses went up to the Mount of God that day in Exodus 3, the plight of his people were nowhere in his mind. At this point, he had settled into life. He was doing what he'd been doing for 40 years, and he had no intention of doing anything else. Here's my guess. At the age of 80, Moses didn't see a career change in his future. What do you think? I don't think so, do you? I don't think he saw that in his future. At this point, Moses had truly forgotten about what God had called him to do. He was content with life as he was living it. Maybe he was at this point in in life because he felt like a failure. I mean, he tried at least, and that's how he saw it. He he had failed, and so so he he may have felt like he had no business trying to deliver the Hebrews. Or, Or maybe in the midst of living life, he simply had lost sight that there was even a need for the people to be delivered. Being in Midian, he certainly was not affected by what was happening in Egypt. And so it could be he simply failed to see a need anymore. Whatever his reasoning at this point, there's clearly a call abandoned. But here's what we're going to see next, a call redeemed. 
Look at me starting back at verse 7 in Exodus 3. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and a broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now, God first reminds Moses of the need. And he lets Moses know that he's heard the cry of his people. If Moses had forgotten, God made it very clear that his people were suffering and that God was going to act to deliver them and that he was going to use Moses to bring about that deliverance. Moses may have been in the wilderness for 40 years tending sheep, but here's what it didn't mean. It didn't mean God was finished with him, right? Somebody even asked the question, well, well, why did God let 40 years go by? Well, I I don't know, really. I don't think I can specifically answer that from Scripture, but if we were to think about it, maybe it was this. Maybe it was that God was letting Moses gain a shepherd's heart. If there's one thing we know about sheep, they're an animal that clearly needs guidance, do they not? I mean, left to themselves, I mean, they go the wrong way. Left to themselves, they would die from their own silly mistakes. Sheep need patience. Sheep need guidance. Sheep need care. Maybe God was allowing Moses to spend 40 years learning this because what we know as we read the rest of Moses' story was that the children of Israel were just like sheep, all right, and they needed a strong shepherd. And so maybe, just maybe, God was giving Moses time to develop the shepherd's heart he would need. One thing we can be sure of is this, is that over those 40 years, God wasn't absent or God wasn't still. And I know that because in Psalm 121, the psalmist declared, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and the earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither sleep nor slumber. Here's what I can assure you, that God was at work in Moses' life for those 40 years. He was not wasting one moment of one day of Moses' life because God never takes a nap. All right. Now, God surely was preparing Moses for the day he would redeem Moses' call and say, I'm sending you to fulfill the call that you knew about 40 years earlier. I wonder how you would have responded to God saying, I'm sending you. Here's what we'd like to think, right? We would like to think, well, if God spoke to me audibly, I'd go do it right now, right? Is that what you'd like to think? If so, shake your head this way. I want to know you're not sleeping, all right? You'd like to think if God spoke to you and said, I've got a plan for you, that you're going to go right away. But that's not necessarily the case. We often hesitate. We even make excuses, But here's the next thing that we're going to see happen. We're going to see there's been a call that's confirmed. As I said, we might like to think we would easily and quickly respond, yes, to God's call. But what we really do is question God's call. In fact, Moses asked the same three questions that we often ask. What are those three questions? I'm glad you asked. Let me give you the answer. What are those three questions? Here they are. Who am I? Who are you? And what if? All right. Who am I? Who are you? And what if? The first question is one of self-doubt. Look at Moses' words in verse 11. He said, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Now, maybe Moses asked this question because of his past failed attempt at delivering the people. Maybe he was really looking at God and saying, God, I I already tried and failed. You know I can't do this. Because failure has a way of making us doubt ourselves, does it not? 
It does. Sure it does. All right. So as Moses heard God call him back to the task he'd attempted 40 years earlier, Moses questioned his ability. Moses, though, may have just had this, these self-doubts besides the failed attempt. We can see some of Moses' specific doubts about himself in chapter 4, where Moses says, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. You know, Moses clearly at this point had some self-doubt. And it isn't interesting that he pointed to the past saying, I couldn't speak in the past and now I can't even speak in the presence. Now, whether this all came from his past failure, I don't know. But Moses doubted himself. He didn't believe he had the speaking capabilities to serve God as a deliverer. Maybe in his mind, he had been a shepherd so long, he thought that was the only thing he could do. I mean, you don't have to be a good speaker to be a shepherd, do you? No. All right, whatever the case, Moses asked the question, who am I? But Moses didn't just question himself, he questioned God. Look at verse 13. If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, what is his name, what shall I say to them? You might think that this question would be unnecessary for the children of Israel. They were God's chosen people after all. However, let's remember something. By this time, they had been enslaved to the Egyptians for numerous years. Many Israelites may have even doubted God, thinking that if he cared or had power, or that even if he existed at all, that they wouldn't have been enslaved. Also, being in Egypt, they'd been surrounded by the worship of many false gods, and so some Hebrews no doubt had been tempted and even decided to worship these false gods. The question of who God was and is would have been a big deal to the Hebrews. And let's be honest ourselves. There are times that we want to ask the same question, do we not? We want to say, who are you, God? Don't we ask the same question? We live in a world full of just as many false gods as the Hebrews did in Egypt. Our day is probably worse because we don't even call our gods gods, all right? We worship them, but we don't call them gods, all right? When people put all their trust in science, we don't call it a god, but it's become a god in their life. When people put all their trust in money, we don't call it a god, but it is a god in their life. And so we're still asking the question today, who is God? And should I really trust him above all things? Now, if there is another question that we ask here, Moses shows us what it is. It's then the question of what if? This question really appears at the beginning of chapter 4 when we read these. It says, then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say the Lord did not appear to you. Now, I really love the way the NIV translates this, and I'm going to read it for you. The NIV translates it this way. What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say the Lord did not appear to you? I like the way the NIV translates it because what if is really what Moses is asking. He didn't know for sure that the people wouldn't believe him, but he was afraid they would reject him. He was afraid things wouldn't go well. He was wondering about all the possible things that could go wrong, all the what ifs, which again, let's be honest again, aren't many times we're paralyzed from moving forward in life by the questions of what if? I mean, I mean, what if they don't believe me? What if I run into something that, that, that I don't know? What, what if I make a mistake? What if, and I could go on this morning? Don't raise your hand if that's you, but my guess is we've all had these what ifs that have sought to paralyze us in life. Maybe, in fact, that's what's holding you back right now. God has a plan for your life, but you're asking the question of what if. Now, you may have noticed something. I asked these three questions, but did you notice I didn't give you an answer to any of those questions? Did anybody notice? All right, maybe not now, I'm pointing it out to you, right? I, I didn't answer those questions. And why didn't I ask, answer them? Because, you ready? The answer to all three questions is the same. The answer to the question is God. 
When Moses had self-doubt and questioned his ability, God didn't really point to Moses and say, here are all the things you do well, right? We, we might want to look, and when Moses said, who am, am I, we might well say, God's going to look at him and, and build him up, right? God's going to say, well, Moses, you do this good, and you do this good, and you do this good, Moses, right? We're going to build him up, right? Isn't that what we think? God didn't do that. Did you notice that? God, God said, let, let me tell you the answer to who, who am I. Moses is not anything to do with you, because you're not God, Moses, but let me tell you, I am Right, and so who was the answer? Look at what he says in verse in verse twelve. He says, "But I will be with you." When Moses wonders, "Who am I to do this?" God says, "It's not about you, Moses. I'm going to be with you. That's all that matters." Right? When he asks the question, "God, who are you?" Look at what he says in verse fourteen: "I am who I am." All right, say to the people of Israel, "I am has sent me." And when Moses asked, "What if?" God demonstrated to Moses all his powers and all the signs that he would show Moses. God was basically saying, "Moses, I can even take care of all the what ifs." In other words, God was the answer. God confirmed the call of Moses' life, not by pointing to Moses, but instead by pointing to him. It was God's work in Moses' life that was going to make Moses successful, not Moses' ability. And it was not just any God. It was the one true God, the great I am, who can do anything. He was the one who was going to work in Moses' life to accomplish great things. And God was going to accomplish these great things in Moses' life by many powerful acts. God even confirmed his call on Moses' life by making this statement in verse 12. He says, but I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you, that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. In other words, God gave Moses several specific things that would happen, including that he would bring the people of Israel out of Egypt, and they would serve God on the same mountain where Moses was then speaking to God which if we had time to read the rest of the story, as the late Paul Harvey would say, we would see where God does exactly what he told Moses he would do. And the people serve God on that mountain. Mount Horeb, as I noted earlier, also called Mount Sinai. We see Moses follow the call of God, do what God asked him to do. And as a result, he became a part of the greatest moments in history. And Moses became known as one of the greatest men of faith who ever lived. If all you ever knew about Moses were the verses we've looked at this morning, you might not consider Moses such a great man of faith. Maybe you consider him a man of doubt or a man of questions. I don't know. But because God redeemed his call, God used him in a mighty way. Now, as we consider God's, Moses' call by God, it takes us to a statement that I want us all to hear this morning. And so if you've checked me out to this point, would you check back in for a moment? Because I really want you to catch this. Here's a statement that leads every one of us to this morning, all right? You should strive to fulfill God's call on your life, all right? You should strive to fulfill God's call on your life. Now, somewhere here that, and there's what you're gonna say. Well, Brother Scott, I wish I knew what God's call on my life is. And fortunately today, I cannot give you the specific call that God has on your life. But what I can do is to begin to point you to that call. In fact, to do that, let's do this. All right, let's stay on this mountain. Remember, we're, we're visiting Mount Horab. We're visiting Mount Sinai. There's where we're at. And so let's stay on the mountain for a moment, but let's do this. Let's move forward in time a few years, can we? And if we move forward a little bit in time, here's what we're going to find. We're going to find in Exodus 19, Moses has brought the people back. 
See, Moses has done the call. They've come out of Egypt. They've been through the Red Sea. They've been brought to this mountain. And here's what we see in Exodus 19, verse four. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasure possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Again, first God reminded the people how he worked in their lives. Though we didn't look at the, those specific verses this morning, I hope you're familiar with that because we know what God did, how he sent the plagues in Egypt to convince Pharaoh to let the people go, how he went before the Israelites in the journey by a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day, how he parted the waters and allowed the people to cross through on dry ground, how he provided manna and water in the wilderness for the Israelites to have food to eat. God did many miraculous things in bringing the people to this place. And so God was saying, don't forget that. I've been with you. I've shown myself to you. More importantly, we overlooked that God said, I have brought you to myself, which reminds us, folks, above all, God wants a relationship, a personal relationship with us, right? We should never forget that. Then the key is what we see God calling the people to. He tells them his will for their lives. Look at verse 6. And he says, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You see, God's call on the people's life was clear. You are to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation for me. Although that doesn't speak to a specific call that God places on individuals, it does speak to all of us to remind us there's a general call on every believer to live for God and represent him to the world. We are to be his priest. We are to be a holy nation. And in case you think these words in Exodus 19 are not meant for you, since you are not one of the Israelites, let me read for you 1 Peter 2, which are the words for every believer in Jesus Christ. Listen to these words. Are you ready? 1 Peter 2, beginning in verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Does those words sound a little familiar to you? You see, God has called each of us to live as a royal priesthood for him, to live as a holy nation, to live in a way that proclaims the greatness of God. I believe we would all do well to ask ourselves often, Am I living in a way where I can say my life is being lived in a way that exemplifies the words in 1 Peter 2? We have to ask that question because here's what we don't like to admit. That we've all been like Moses at one time or another. That every one of us at one time abandoned God's call on our life to live for him and instead to live for ourselves. You know what that's called, right? It's called, anybody know? Sin called sin. Sin is when we abandon the life God has called us to, to, to live, and we live doing our own thing. And like Moses, we even have a tendency to settle into life, to do our own thing, not really even thinking about what God wants from us. Like Moses, we can do that, and life seemingly go very well. However, what when we do, we forget there's a great need around us. We forget that there are people in bondage. We forget that there are people who need delivered but life's going pretty well for us, and so no need to worry about that, right? But here's what God wants to do. God wants to redeem us and to redeem the call that he has placed upon our lives. 
For those who have never had a relationship with God, you need to know this, that God redeems you from your empty, sin-filled life through Jesus Christ. Jesus came to die for you. He came to die that you might be forgiven and that you might have a new life and a new purpose. Some here today in our presence or some watching from home today, you need to know that God is calling out to you like he did Moses from that burning bush. He is simply waiting for you to investigate what's going on because he's ready to call out to you. He's calling you to be in a relationship with him. He's calling out for you to serve him. He wants you to follow him. And maybe you look at your life and you know you've failed. In fact, that failure is the very thing that seems to keep you from being God and to, be, to following God. You, you may think that you are not good enough, that God could never love you. If that is you, I want you to know that God is big enough to handle your past failure. He is big enough to handle whatever you are dealing with. God is simply waiting for you to heed his call. Jesus died for you. And your future isn't dependent upon what you can or cannot do. Because Jesus died for your sin and rose again three days later to prove his power, you can now have new life if you truly place your faith in Jesus, if you seek his forgiveness and give control of your life to him. God can do more in you and through you than you can ever imagine if you would simply give your life to him. Today, if you've never given your life to Jesus, come today and be redeemed. All right? But this call today is not just for those who have never believed. This call is for believers because, again, there are many believers like Moses that you've abandoned God's call on your life. Some of you have abandoned a specific call on your life. Maybe you've a call to teach a Bible study or a call to work with children or youth. Maybe you've abandoned the call to be an encourager or abandoned the call to be a generous giver. You know if that is you. Maybe you are like Moses and you felt like you tried and you failed. If so, that failure isn't lost on God. I want to challenge you to learn from that failure or through that failure and know that God is still has a call for your life and, and, and there's something that, 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 that he wants you to do, all right? You may have think that you failed, but God can redeem that, okay? I want you to consider today if, if God is telling you it's time to get up and to pursue that call again. Don't just be happy coasting through life, coasting through church when God has other plans, when Moses was 80 when God redeemed his call on his life, right? So I, I'm even going to say this to all gathered here. You can't even use old age as an excuse to say, I'm too old to serve God because you're never too old to be used by God. All right, you hear me? Now, something I will say to many believers this morning is that we can easily, again, get like Moses, going through life, abandoning our call, and just going through life, forgetting that there are those in bondage who need delivering. Christians, hear me. There is a world out there who needs Jesus. And many times we as believers are just living life and we're not seeking to help deliver our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, our classmates from their bondage. And the world needs us to share Jesus with them. And we need to let God redeem our call today saying, we're ready to get back in the game and go share Jesus with the world. If we do, what we can discover is that God will confirm that call. We will find opportunities to share. We will see people come to faith in Jesus. There may even be a time where you can come to church and see the person that you've witnessed to get baptized or better yet, you can baptize them because you shared faith with them and they came to faith in Christ and you get to step in the water and baptize them, fulfilling God's call on your life. And see, maybe you tried to witness to someone in the past and you failed. That doesn't mean you don't try again. Or maybe you let sin creep into your life, and so it's hard to witness when you're not living for the Lord now. Well, that can change. Confess that sin. Let God cleanse you, and then get back to being the witness that God wants you to be, both in the way you live your life and then in the way you witness to others. 
You see, maybe in the past you've looked at Mount Horab and thought, there's nothing there that applies to me. I mean, it's just a neat story about a burning bush. But hopefully you have seen this morning that Horeb reminds us that God is calling out to us. The question is, are we listening and are we ready to respond? You see, I hope today you will set aside your questions and simply say, God, I'm ready to fulfill your mission. Because if Moses' encounter on Mount Horeb teaches us anything, it's simply this, is that you should strive to fulfill God's call on your life. Let us pray this morning. Father, we bow into your presence today. And we thank you that you're a God that does place a call upon our life, first to salvation and then to call to live as your, your priest, your holy nation. And so, Father, help us today, whatever that call is, the Lord, to receive that call today. I know this morning there are some who no doubt need for the first time to give their life to you, to cry out to Jesus as their Savior, to ask your forgiveness, Father, to be cleansed and to be given eternal life. And so if there's one here today that's never done that, Lord, I pray that they will hear that call. Not a call from this preacher, Father. I pray that in these moments they'll hear a call from your Holy Spirit that's saying, come to me. And in these moments they'll give their life to you. I pray, Father, some will say yes to that call. But for all believers today, I pray that we'll hear that same call, that call that says, live for me. Because indeed, Father, there's some ways that we've gotten on the sidelines, maybe through the pandemic when we've had to isolate. We have forgotten, Lord, that there's a world out there that needs us. And Father, it's time that we get back in the game. It's time, Father, for us to do your will and let the world know that you love them and that you've got a plan for their life as well. And so help us, Father, today to have our call redeemed, whatever that is, Lord, so speak to us. In these moments as we have this invitation, Lord, I want you to speak. And truly, Father, I pray people will respond in these moments. And so today we give, again, as always, this invitation to your mighty hands, and we just ask you to move in a mighty way. And so, Father, as I pray these things, I pray them in Jesus' name, amen.